it was really nice of them to make a bumper video for the passage I'm preaching on this morning. Yeah, how about that? Wow, I get to do the, the signature passage. Hey, I don't want to forget to do this because you guys know this. We have the joy of jo joining together in worship every week. And right now, I want to give a shout out to the guy who has been leading, preaching, the one who's been teaching, coaching the team. I want to say thank you, Doug Baker. Can we give God an applause for that? <laughs> I know he's visiting his mom this morning, and I want to say, Doug, I love you, and also the two people who clap for you this morning, they do too as well. <laughs> anyway, so Doug, we appreciate you. Um, I, I know this, that for some of you, this is the truth, it has been a hard week, and I know that. I was thinking of a song, actually, because um, I, I, I know a number of situations that this has been, these have been tough days, tough weeks. And I was thinking of an old song that says, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, but not every day. And you know that that's the truth of life, right? The truth is, um, we're going to get a glimpse into the life of Apostle Paul today, who suffered more than anybody else. Uh, it's a hard thing to think about. We don't like to talk about suffering or think about suffering, but the truth is, Paul suffered mightily, and we saw that last week, right? We saw the list of things in chapter 11, horrible, crazy, unbelievable things. Now, um, some of the people actually thought Paul was weak, and the word weak is going to be very significant in today's passage. Now, if you are a younger person, and I see a number of you out here today, um, if you're a younger person, you may right away think, well, that's not about me, I'm not there. I believe that actually younger people, you see it, you experience it, you talk about being real, and actually this is called the generation of anxiety, because you know what our world looks like. You know that out there, there's political trouble, there's moral trouble, there's people who have brokenness all over our world, and, and they see it, they acknowledge it more than my generation ever did, but my generation... Um, the truth is we get a glimpse of it every week. I mean, I, this year has been a very hard year for me personally, for my family, because so many of us have suffered loss, right? And it's been a tough year. Well, this passage, I believe, speaks to us <clears throat> about what it means. Now, I want to make sure that we're looking at this passage appropriately, that we're, we're where we need to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to read you a backdrop passage. I'm going to read it to you. It's brilliantly written. I don't know who wrote this, but man, it's amazing. <clears throat> but here it is. All right, you ready? Paul is continuing to address the crisis in the church in Corinth. False apostles have started up in the church. They were teaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And in chapter 10, Paul began to address the situation and he started with meekness and gentleness of Christ. I love that. Instead of attacking them, that's how he comes to them. Then he said, he made the case that his authority and ministry as an apostle is legitimate. This began a series of statements about his credentials. In chapter 11, Paul describes his godly jealousy for them. And that he promised to present them to Christ as his bride. They were being led astray by the deceivers. 
Therefore, Paul reluctantly continued to boast of his ministry as an apostle. Surprisingly, his boasting, though, was mostly about his passion for the gospel in Jesus and enormous suffering. What a strange way to boast. Let me tell you about how I've suffered. In chapter 12 now, Paul has described his ministry, how his ministry began, I believe, early on in his ministry, what he learned, and he had two incredible experiences with God. And we're going to look at those two together today. How this enabled Paul to endure suffering beyond all imagination. In our passage, God's, Paul's going to discuss how and why he endured such hardships. And then I want us to talk about two questions. It doesn't tell us to apply this to our lives, guys. We're going to extrapolate this from Paul's life. I always ask, why did God include this in the Bible? There's so many other things. And then what did it mean to those people, and what is it supposed to mean to us? So we're going to ask two questions today, try to answer them. How are we to understand times of suffering, and what are we to do in times of suffering? A little later, we're going to talk about humility, because that's absolutely essential for us to understand. Now, let me talk about humility. I told Diane I was going to talk about humility this morning, and I said, they chose the right guy to do this. I said, I'm going to get a button that says, I can teach you how to be humble. That's all about me right there, right? So, um, Princess Bride, an old movie, I'm dating myself, said, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. There is a lot of pain in life. When you're young, you kind of don't know it, see it, but I believe this generation is seeing it. So people in my generation, we know it's here. As we begin to read this passage, can we pray now and ask the Spirit of God to speak in us? Father God, this is such an amazing, amazing story, an amazing passage of Scripture. Lord God, I pray you'll speak to each of us today. I pray you'll speak words in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that will remind us, will change us, and will speak to us where we are right now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dig into our passage. You ready? We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Now, last week, we gave Josh the passage that had 33 verses, and this week I get 10. It shows you who's, who to trust, right? So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, um, it's going to come up here on the screen, so let's look at, at it together. Oh, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. 
Even I sh if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is what is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have questions when I come to the scriptures. I always want to know, okay, God, what is this supposed to be saying here? So first question is, why is Paul boasting? Second, what did God, why did God authorize a thorn in Paul? Does he do that with us? Third, what is weakness? And why would Paul boast about that? And last of all, with all this talk about suffering, what does God do to keep us strong in times of suffering? So verse 1, I must go on boasting. Look, Paul continued to make the case out of love. He loved them, and he didn't want them to be drifting away. He's boasting because he's talking about the dangers of false teaching. Another verse from last week, we'll take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. It says, false teachers, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the spirit's, serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. These things were going on. It was terrible in their life. For someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you've accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Dangerous times. False teachers were leading them away from Christ, and Paul was being criticized and rejected as an apostle. We see this today as well, don't we, guys? We see all kinds of false gospels out there. So 2 Peter 3.17 says, But there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Paul hates to boast. He hated it. He didn't want to do it. And boasting, by the way, means talking about himself. That's what he means by that. But because some of the people in the church were leading them astray, he felt he needed to commend himself to them. He was criticized as being weak. A lot of things. I mean, you remember last week and other weeks where it talks about his speech. It talks about the way he looks. It talks about that he's not very impressive. And so he was des described as weak. But they had been with him. They'd seen his love. They'd seen his passion, his commitment They'd seen his teaching, the knowledge that God had given him personally. They'd seen all that, and yet they were still being led astray. What a strange way to boast, right? When was the last time you boasted with someone about your suffering? Now look, I'm at the age 
where we do talk about it, okay? You know, it does happen. Like, yeah, I went to the doctor. It happened this morning with a guy that's here in the audience with me. Yeah, I, I went to the doctor, and they did this, and they charged me this much and everything. He goes, yeah, well, look at mine. Look at, I, wow, look at this. But, but we don't usually boast of our suffering. Like, look how much I'm suffering now. In this case, Paul is suffering in ministry. He's suffering for serving Jesus. So Paul considered suffering as evidence of his calling, do we? Is that also true for us? Are we willing to take up our cross? Are we willing to suffer? And then Paul was, and this was it. So let's look at verses 2 through 6, the first experience, God's work through a supernatural experience. Now here's some pictures of heaven. I, I went to Google Images and I, and I looked up what's heaven look like. In some people's mind, that's it. Waterfalls, beautiful. Look at this one. That's cool, huh? Yeah, awesome. Picture of heaven. Look, that's somebody's picture of heaven right there. I bet they have a corona in their hand as well. <laughs> What's missing in these pictures? God is. That was the whole thing. That was the glory of heaven is the Lord himself is there. Now, I'm guessing it might be, and I've told you this before, that there's um, a kid is drawing a picture, and mom comes up and says, son, what are you drawing a picture of? And he says, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, honey, no, nobody knows what God looks like. He said, they will when I get done, <laughs> right? And so I'm hoping that that's why they just didn't know how to put God in there. But God has often worked through visions and revelations. The Bible's full of them, but they were all, as Paul said, from the Lord. False apostles and teachers had been sharing their vision. They'd been wowing the people of Corinth with things that they'd seen supposedly from God, but they were distorting Jesus and the gospel and the Spirit of God. And so um, that is why um, we have outside on our giant rock out there, we have one of our core values. I hope you've seen it before. It says that the Bible is God's story given to transform your life and to be the authority in your life. We keep that right up front because otherwise there's all kinds of visions and revelations from people. I've heard many in my lifetime. People have told me things. Oh, well, God told me this. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I've had people in counseling tell me that God told them to leave their wife. I'm like, okay, sorry, let me, let me look back at the scriptures here with you to, to tell you the truth. So we keep that on that rock out there for a reason, but Paul's vision and revelation was life transforming. It so shaped his life. And Paul described the experience as visions and revelations from the Lord. And then this is what really amazes me. He waited 14 years to reveal it. Oh my goodness. Guys, if I had that revelation, I'd be going, whoa, ho, hey everybody, check this out. Look what God did for me. He took me to, and I, I just, I could have gone on and on about it. I had an, an experience in my life once where um, I'm a private pilot, and early on in my flying days, Bruce Humphrey and another guy were going on a flight with me. We took off out of Redlands. We got just about to the freeway, and Bruce says, hey, instead of going that way, can we go out towards Palm Springs? I said, sure. 
So we turn east, and we're cruising along, and just about the time we're almost over Trinity, the engine failed, completely dead. And I'm like, oh. Now, Bruce Humphrey, I don't know why he would think this. He thinks, he says, stop fooling around. He thought I was tricking him. Why, where would he get that idea from? I don't know. Anyway, so I said, shut up, let me do my checklist. So we're gliding along, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to land right over here on Fifth Street. No, we're going to land on Wabash. No, I think we're going to make the airport. And we make the airport, and we land. And it was a really good landing, by the way. So we land the plane, and now both guys, one of the guys jumps out of the back seat, kisses the runway, and we push the plane off of the runway and everything. Get back here to the office. Rick Langer's in the office next to me. And I'm thinking, I don't think I should share this story because I want my wife to fly with me sometimes. <laughs> and so, but I did tell Rick, I'm like, oh, Rick, I just had this kind of weird thing that just happened today. And um, Rick's like, oh, 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 wow, that's crazy. So I'm where everything's good. Sunday morning, Rick Langer's on the platform and he says, hey, I'm really glad Steve and Bruce are okay after having a power failure in an airplane. My wife's sitting next to me. <laughs> and Bruce's wife's sitting next to him. And both of them did the same thing. What? You know, it kind of gave us the eye, right? So the, I didn't want to say anything, but finally, you know. But then now that the cat's out of the bag, every time I told the story, it got a little better. Like, wow, man, amazing. The truth of the matter is, what if Bruce hadn't said to go east? What if the weather wasn't perfect that day to be able to glide in? What if I hadn't been trained by, anyway, I could see God took care of us. It was all God. But I would have been, it was very easy for me when people say, hey, I hear you've lost a, a, an engine before on the airplane. Yeah, let me tell you about it, right? Paul, nope. He waits 14 years. And these were things that were inexpressible, so magnificent, he wasn't permitted to even talk about them. The word there means unlawful. Did he see God? Did he see his future reward in heaven? I don't know. He didn't tell us on purpose. It would all be conjecture. God, Paul put all of the focus, 100% of it, on the Lord himself. Look at this. He wouldn't identify himself. He only God knows, he said. He didn't even know he was there in the body or in the spirit. He was caught up. That's the same word that's used of us when we're raptured to be with the Lord. All of those things. He was passive in the whole thing. He went to the third heaven. The Jews called the heaven, the, the sky where we see the clouds, that's the first heaven. The second heaven is where the stars are. The third heaven is where God lives. And that's where Paul went. The word paradise means, and they got it right in some of the pictures, it means garden. It's a, it's a word from the Persian language, and it means garden. So he was caught up to the, the garden with God, and you know, you know we see that. So guys, here's the truth. This isn't talked about it here, but you and I, we have amazing visions and revelations from God. They're in the Word of God, right? They're there. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21 together. Let's look at this. Actually, we're just going to read this one out loud. Everybody read it together. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with people, and he will live with them. 
they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? Let's look at Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Amen? Wow. Amazing visions for us. Why did God give us all that? Why did he show us what it's going to look like, be like, to be with God himself? I believe these, in, these visions have four very specific intentions and probably more. One is to give us hope. We do need hope. I believe that those visions that we're given are to produce hope in us. Second, I believe they're to produce in us a willing and courageous spirit to serve God. Too often, guys, let's read the next one. It's also to remind us that life is short to be urgent for mission. I'm going to go way off site here, way off of the passage here for a minute. I think that it's easy for us if we know we're in. Heaven's waiting for us. It's all good. I think it's very easy for us to just kind of coast through life. Paul didn't see it that way. He produced an urgency in him for the mission, for what we're doing. I can tell you for a fact, right here at our one location of the body of Christ, one location here in Redlands, there are many, that in our children's ministry, our kids' ministry, there's great need, especially for you men. There's great need for us guys to show boys and girls what does it look like to love God. Moms and dads, parents are partnering with us and there's great need there for the mission. There's need with middle school, high school. We need men and women to be leaders in these groups. We have an increase of people, an increase of families that are here right now and I know what COVID did to us. It distracted us and it kind of made us slow down and I'm kind of done because I'm retired now or I'm done now because I served for a while. I believe the, the needs are massive right now. Micah House could use 20 people tomorrow. I believe that these visions that God has given us, the promises that we have, isn't so we're like, I'm in, yeah, yeah. I'm assured, yep, yep, you are. But these things are meant to inspire us, to call us out. Last of all, it's meant to inspire us to love God. Because look what he's got ahead of us. It's awesome. It's amazing, right? Does anybody else in the world have that? And the answer is no. So don't miss this. Paul needed this. Paul needed this because he was about to endure immense suffering. So you saw the list last week. I believe those things happened after God had revealed this amazing view. So for us today, we need to remember that surpassing greatness with Jesus is just ahead. Let it inspire you. Let it make you urgent. 
So let's go back to the original meaning here for a minute. Paul had had these visions. He wanted the church to see him for what he does and what he says, not because of these great visions. Instead, Paul was much more focused on God working in his life. So let's look, look again at verses 7 and 8 together. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. God's work through a thorn. Paul had had other revelations. He'd, had, he'd seen God heal people. He'd seen all of those things. And Paul, though, the apostle Paul would be tempted to become conceited or I think better translated, self-exalted. He, he would be inflated himself. Now, you, it's hard for me to imagine. This is a guy willing to suffer and do all these things, but it was that good what he saw that he could have been self-inflated. So I've seen, um, he could have said, I've seen something no one else has ever seen, and this is how we are, guys. We try to make things that God has done for our own glory. Look what happens with sports. I, I mean, I, I enjoy watching sports like some other you, you guys do as well. But very often, if you see the interviews afterwards, it's like, yeah, I was showcasing my talents there. I'm like, wow. I mean, it's all over the place in sports, right? It's in beauty in America. You ever thought about this? Why do people show off themselves so much with their beauty? Who gave them that beauty? Our Lord did. Same thing with intelligence. Many people are showing off their education, their intelligence. All of those things were gifts from God. It's all God's glory, and yet we very well easily make it our own thing. I remember so well when I first became a believer, 17, by about 19, I was sitting under the teachings of a guy who was an excellent teacher. Loved it. Great times together. Saturdays were amazing. I just couldn't wait. Every Saturday morning, I was so excited to be there. We'd spend two, three hours just in the Word and learning together. It was awesome. Then we spent a year studying Greek because, like, the New Testament's written Greek. We need to study Greek. I didn't know better, so I studied Greek. Then when I went off to Dallas Seminary, I remember thinking, wow, I get to be among the giants. I get to be among these amazing people. And I began to think, I've already had it. So I remember being in Greek class and thinking, well, i got a leg up on all these guys. Man, I've already studied it a whole year. I know most of the vocabulary you're doing. And spiritual pride began to sneak into my life. You begin to think, I kind of got this, right? And I was overtaken. The Lord allowed me to be overtaken with temptation, disappointment, all kinds of things began to happen in my life. I began to get criticism from different people. One professor called me out pretty strong, and the Lord did a real painful thing in my life. It was, I hated it. It was darkness. But I believe that God needed to change my life right then because of the spiritual pride that was taking place. Can I tell you, that happens to all of us in America all the time because we have resources beyond all resources, and pride is a dangerous thing for all of us. For this reason, God allowed a thorn, something painful in his life. We don't know what it was. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan. It was called a thorn, but it, actually the word is a, it's of, used of a, a pole or a stick that they, sharp, they sharpen to a point. Um, they call it a stake. 
and it was used to somehow cause pain to Paul. We don't know if it's physical, emotional, mental, psychological. We don't know. He didn't say what kind of pain that it was, but it was pain. The thorn was probably something that interfered with his ministry as well. I believe the lack of identity of the thorn is intentional of God because some of us will feel things differently than what Paul felt. And so I believe that that was very intentional on God's part to not say what it is. But the key purpose of the thorn was to encourage humility for Paul to turn to the Lord. Humility is essential if we're going to follow the Lord. So Paul did the right thing. He did the right thing, the same thing that we all should do. When we're in pain, we should go to the Lord. And he went to the Lord, and he asked the Lord. He pled with the Lord is the word used there. Probably didn't initially understand the pain. He'd just seen this amazing thing in heaven, and now he's going through this horrible pain, and he, like us, would get confused, right? I mean, he'd seen God heal many people like, God, why would, this, why would you not be healing me of this pain? And no matter what the source of the pain, God should always be our first plea. We see that our Lord Jesus, if you really, you know, did you ever notice that on the cross, he doesn't express his pain, but he did in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, three times, he asked the Lord, will this cup of suffering pass? Can I pass on this? Now, probably many of you have had some kind of pain in your life I'm sort of reticent to talk about it because I don't want to compare myself to Paul in, in any way or to the Lord Jesus, of course. But I remember suffering so much with a pain in my life that I wanted to share it with you today. I, I have suffered with a repeated feeling of failure in my life over and over and over of trying to please God, trying to, and then I would feel like I'd lost God's favor. I think it started as a father wound, honestly, because my dad was super busy, worked six days a week. On Sundays, it was the day to read the newspaper. I remember so well trying to get my dad to do something with me, but he was busy, he was tired, and, and that's just how life was for that generation. They were trying to build and build and build. I remember on a Sunday, I had been going out, uh, I backtracked a little bit here, I had been going out for baseball. I had wanted to play Little League. My friends were playing, and I, I knew my dad couldn't go to the, to the games. He couldn't go to the practices. But I remember so well. So one Sunday, there was a break in the action. I said, hey, Dad, will you play catch with me? And he said, okay. So my older brother had a, a glove, and I had a glove, and we went out, and we started throwing the ball to each other on that, on that day. And I said, hey, Dad, I am learning to pitch. Check this out. So I remember so well. You know how kids are. You know, you look back to second base and you check it out. And then, man, I'm going to throw a fastball. Kaboom. I threw it way over his head, over the fence. I remember so well my dad dropping his mitt and just going, just walked in the house. And I had disappointed my dad. And that was hard. I lived with that memory for years. I still just, I remember, and it always felt like I could just never quite please him. I would do something good, and then the next thing would come along, and I'd mess up. But God used that pain in my life to call me to the Lord Jesus, to call me to God. 
<clears throat> I don't believe it was a thorn from God, but I believe God uses those pains in our life so that we might turn to him and not somewhere else. I believe that that's what he wants us to do. And God reminded me, I'm his and he is mine. Now, when we're suffering, we need to remember that sometimes God allows suffering for reasons that we can't understand. Let's look at the crown verses 9 and 10. He said to me, let's read this one out loud together. Let's read verses 9 and 10. These are so good. I may not have made a slide. It could be. I forgot to make a slide. So I'll read them to you. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, persecutions, in difficulties. When I am weak, then I am strong. I've called this God's work through a message to Paul. God did answer Paul's message, God's, I mean, Paul's request, but with a no and an explanation, a no and a promise, a no and a principle that I believe Paul lived with the rest of his life. So the word grace, charis, means unmerited favor. So he said, Paul, when you're weak, when you're going through these things, you have my unmerited favor. You have my goodness, my kindness coming over you, and it's going to roll over your life. And on top of that, it's going to be satisfying. It's going to be sufficient for you. The word sufficient means to make you content. And so God's promise to him, to us, when we are in those times, that he's going to overflow grace into our lives. Now, what is weakness? That's a foreign word to us. The Greek word osthenia means to be frail, and it's sometimes translated as weak. And we're told in James chapter 5 to go to the elders when we're frail, when we're weak for some reason. And so the purpose of weakness, though, I believe, is to make us humble, to humble ourselves, to draw near to God, to trust in Him and not ourselves. To me, the worst song in the world, I hate this song, it's from Frank Sinatra, you may like his voice, but he said, I did it my way. That is our tendency, guys, is to do it our way. And pain, suffering, weakness causes us to turn to the Lord and do it God's way to turn to him, to know his love, his goodness, his grace in our life. God promises us that it will be satisfying, that he dispenses enough so that we can declare him to be sufficient. I'm looking at the time here. I went to Cuba with seven people. When we got there, immigration would only let three of us go in. The other two guys were Pastor Alfredo, a guy named Tito, and myself. Both of them spoke Spanish. I spoke no Spanish. I said, team, should I go in? Should anybody go in or should we all go back? Because they were sending the other four people back. And they said, no, 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 go in, go in, go in. I'm like, okay. So I went in with them. 
Every single day that we were there, we had no idea where we were going to be, what we were going to do. We were just like, just along for the ride with the Holy Spirit, right? I remember day after day after day, God met us there. And a part of the reason he did is we were weak. We were disappointed by what had happened, by our friends weren't there with us. But every day, God did something magnificent. I remember so well standing on a corner. We were waiting for a ride from a, a pastor of a tiny little house church who said he would come and meet us. So we're standing on this corner, the three of us. A couple of guys come up, and they said, they tried to convince us to be Rastafarians. And they talked and talked, and they said, you guys, you guys need, to, to, you need to change. Did you guys come here because you thought you were going to teach us something here in Cuba? So they were kind of getting a little bit tough with us, right? We said, well, our ride's here uh, right now, but we'd like to talk with you later. They said, sure, there's an alley back over here. Meet us back in this alley. And we said, well, there's actually a plaza over here. We'll meet you on the plaza. We moved back there onto the plaza, and I watched Alfredo and Tito talk with these guys in Spanish. All I can do is pray, and the Lord changed their minds, and all, both of them turned to Jesus Christ, right? In our weakness, God was working in a powerful way. So Paul lists the kinds of things that were making him weak. Look at these with me for a minute, and then we're going to close. So he talks about insults. Those are the words of rivals that people say to hurt us. That is happening more and more to us in America. We never thought it would come here. And it's happening more and more. They're insulting us constantly. And that's what Paul experienced. Hardships. Hardships mean the things like he listed last week. Going without food, going without shelter, um, going without comfort. Hardships are a part of being weak. Persecutions, mistreatments and the tortures. We don't see that happening in America, but it's happening all over the world to brothers and sisters in Christ. And last of all, difficulties or calamities. Those are dangers. And so Paul says those things were making him weak, but it was those times when he was turning to God at that time, relying on the grace of God, the provision of God, relying on the power of God. A question that I ask myself a lot, very often when, because of my failings, because of a lot of things that happen, I often ask myself, is God's grace enough for me? Is it enough? Is his power enough in my life? Do I really need some of the other things that I think I need? I believe that throughout, so a question that I ask myself, is it enough? And then it makes me think of a lot of songs that we sing here when we talk about Christ being enough. So throughout the Bible, humility is the essential of all essentials, guys. James chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 3, he says these amazing words, and you know them as well as I do, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. No better example than Jesus on the cross, guys. The example of humility and God's power. Though he was God, he gave it up. He gave up his rights as God, made himself nothing, and became a servant. Though he asked the Father if he could avoid this cup of suffering, God, in his power, in his grace, brought Christ through it. 
And you and I are the benefactors of that, right? So in closing, let me just sign off with this. In times of suffering, God gives us grace and power when, when we humbly declare our weakness. We have to admit the fact that we can't do it on our own. So when we're struggling, let me summarize again, remind you that remember that just ahead is God's surpassing greatness with Jesus. Remember that we need to accept that sometimes we won't understand suffering in our life. And last of all, we need to humbly declare our weakness and live in God's grace and power. You guys pray with me. Father in heaven, I know you've said much more and much better in the scriptures than what we just said here. I just said, I pray for each one of us. I know, I know, Lord God. We see our world changing, and we're called, Lord God, to bring the true gospel to this world. We're called to even suffer if necessary, and it is necessary. Our Lord Jesus said that we were going to have to set aside our priorities, our own wants, our own desires, and follow Jesus. I pray, Lord God, for us as a congregation, for, I want to pray, Lord God, for our partners around the world. They're in difficult places where there's dangers, where there's persecution. They're in places, Lord God, where the gospel is little, little known. Lord God, you know that some of them are living in desolate places where there's no comfort at all. Father, we pray for them. We pray for us. Lord God, would you inspire us with your visions? Would you remind us that we won't always understand? And God, would you help us, Lord God, because we are weak, to turn to you for your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.